Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, wrestling fans, and thank you for joining us here tonight on King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, October 21st. 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. Tonight we're scheduled to have former WWE referee Billy Caputo who will join us. Also, tomorrow we will have a life coach, a bowling expert, and a uh, a, uh, a way to, you know, if you want to learn how to beat girls and etc., Marie will join us tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so uh, don't forget to check that out. Okay, in the meantime, uh, as we wait for the callers to call in, um, just don't forget to check out the show that was done already. Uh, First time ever with Joey Jackson and Tara Mesero. Go to the archive section of blogtalkradio.com. Jordan... uh, forward slash Jordan dash King and then hit first time ever. Okay. So uh let me get to the uh guests uh as uh as we do here. Okay. Let's go to guest number one. He is out of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, he is our wrestling insider, the man with all the notes of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome back to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King, doing good. Hope you are, too. Uh, exciting. We have, of course, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is this Sunday. It is the sixth annual Hell in a Cell. It is, uh, we'll be having the 20... 20- we have had 27 previous Hell in a Cells, if you can believe that. Uh, Raw, uh, TNA, uh, so much to get into tonight. Absolutely. Uh, let me see if we can have Dominic with us with Blackjack. Uh, point three, your line is open. Uh, Testing, Dominic, one, two, three. Testing, oh. one, two, three. How are we coming out? You're coming out good. Where's the bell? JJ, King Jordan, <laughs> I think I'm back. <laughs> yes, you it are. It looks like systems may be uh, working pretty good tonight. All right. So, well, before we come on to JJ, we have a pay-per-view Sunday, right? Yeah, that is right. Uh, as I said, we have the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. It is the sixth annual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, we've had, if you can believe it, 27 previous Hell in a Cell matches over the last nearly, you know, 15-plus uh, years. And, of course, the card is almost all set. We have two Hell in a Cell matches this Sunday. We have, uh, as they like to say, a double main event. Of course, Dean Ambrose will finally be getting his hands on Seth Rollins. That should be very exciting. Also, John Cena will be taking on Randy Orton. And what's surprising about Cena and Orton is the fact that this isn't the first time that they've battled in Hell in a Cell. Back in 2009, they had a Hell in a Cell match. In fact, these guys have had, I believe this will be their ninth pay-per-view match against each other. So in their decade-long career in the WWE, their rivalry, they've had a total of nine uh, pay-per-view matches against each other. So they've really had quite a 
a career, and this should be uh, this match will be even bigger because the winner of Cena and Orton will be the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's World Heavyweight Championship. So uh, when that match will be in the future, we don't know. Of course, Brock is working a very limited schedule. All we know is he should be coming back around December, around the Slammy Awards. But uh, next up on the card, of course, we have a Divas title match with AJ Lee and Tage, a tag team title match between the Rhodes and the Usos, a United States title match between Sheamus and The Miz. And, uh, of course, we have the Big Show versus Rusev. Nikki and Brie will be battling each other, and the loser will end up as the winner's personal assistant for a month. Now, I don't know whether or not we'll have an Intercontinental title match. Maybe they'll announce that on main event tonight, or maybe they'll announce it on SmackDown on Friday. But we hopefully maybe we'll see Dolph Ziggler and Cesaro, although that is not confirmed. Absolutely. And any minute now, Mr. Caputo, who's been in the ring with Hulk Hogan, Austin, Batista, Cena, uh, he's had some good stories. He he was at the TNA tapings over the summer, so we'll talk to him about that. As soon as he calls in, uh, we will uh, go over that. Uh, of course, he's been on the show before. For the new listener, though, uh, Billy Caputo uh, was at WrestleMania 1 and at WrestleMania 10. So uh, we'll get into that. So how you been, Jack? So far, so good. Just gathering things, getting things together, looking at this whole social media stuff. It's yeah. definitely bigger than, than all of us put together. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm still not that inclined with it. You know, it's just that still, it's like a, a, a huge thing. Everybody's yeah. a part of it. It, it, it. It's bigger than all of us. You know, uh, it, it's something that I can just... I'd rather just stand back and, and do the classical stuff. Thank God for uh, J.J. He can cover wrestling the way it's going now with the uh, uh, Twitters and parts and tweets and everything else that goes along with this, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, because uh, last week there was this big thing going on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce our featured guest. He's a former WWE referee. He's been in the ring with Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Andre the Giant, and plenty others. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> Mr. Billy Caputo. Good evening, Billy, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Good evening, King. Thank you so much for having me again. I enjoy it every time I come on your program. And let's not limit okay. it to uh, Hulk Hogan. Let's go back further. I did the Graham Brothers. I did uh, uh, Antonino Rocco. I did Buddy Rogers. I'm not as young as I feel. <laughs> I look young, <laughs> but it goes okay, back. Uh, let me introduce to Brother Billy. You and me both. Thank you. With Double J, my uh, co-partner here in the Wrestling Insider, uh, Blackjack Brown, and I believe, let me see if we have Dominic Valente, if he, if he checked in. Dominic, are you with us? Yes, King. What's going on, bro? Okay, you're on the phone with Billy Caputo, former WWE referee. Yeah, I was hearing part of it. Billy, how you been, man? It's been um, a lot of years. I'm terrific, Dominic. Thank you so much for remembering. 
Ah, good to hear from you. I didn't know you went back that far as the Graham Brothers. Oh, I started in 1975. They were just finishing, you know, before the the big breakups and the big territorial splits and stuff. But I did a couple of their local things. Ah, cool. Blackjack, what's up? How are you, Dominic? All right, man. JJ, you here I too? I'm here, finally. Good. Yes, brother Dominic. The whole band back together. All right, we got the band back together. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. <laughs> sounds great. King, did now, you get my you... message earlier today? No, no. I just turned on the phone now. I'm here. I'll check it. Anything else? Yeah, right? you... yeah, yeah. I need you to do me a favor. Call me when we're done with the show. Sure. Now, uh, you were uh, at the uh, TNA over the summer, right? Yes, that was uh, in August 5th, 6th, 7th at the Manhattan Center on 34th Street in New York City. They came in for a series of television tapings, which uh, they're doing now locally. Uh, They're doing their tapings in Roundabout. I I think evidently they lost the contract uh, in Orlando with the studios there. It just got to be a little bit too... uh, too expensive and everything, so they're 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 doing it. It's I I think this costs some meat more, but uh, they can set up and uh, they've been doing their they've been filming their shows shows in the local arenas and stuff. I know they've been splitting uh, a lot of shows with uh, the Sands Hotel in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. They're filming a lot of shows. Do you think they will right. come back to the New York area? Oh sure, oh yes. Oh, yeah, they were sold out all three nights. You know, there was a few empty seats, but, uh, you know, when you look at percentage-wise, they were all sold out. Right, but do you see 2015, do you see them going back there? Yeah, to New York, of course. Yes. I know they liked it there. Um, you know, and again, it's a setup for them that where they can move in. For the three shows, and I was very amazed. They they put on, uh, they did the three uh, three days of shows, uh, roughly four hours a night. Uh, they, I think this uh, these shows were in August, the beginning of August fifth, sixth, and seventh, and uh, I believe their show last week was still showing excerpts from that. So they they yeah, pack in know. quite a few shows, and they divide it up with their their other shows and their pay per views and stuff, and uh, they make it last a, a long time, and that. That helps them money-wise. Uh, I think you know it's saving them money from doing the regular setups and stuff in Orlando. But there's contractual disagreements that uh, they might not even be together uh, in 2015. Do you really think that they're going to go back behind? Are we, the talk, are we talking about the talent, or are you talking about TNA in general? I know they may TNA. not be on uh, you know Spike TV, but it looks like they might stay with Spike. That's just, uh, you know, uh, I can't say for sure, but talking with people, uh, they're getting offers. They're getting offers from Spike TV, and they're getting offers from the Fox Sports Network to come on. They will be in the area. I'm trying to climb up here now because it looks like that they may be coming back any time between February and March. There are negotiations for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that pretty much says it. That's what I said. I agree that they will be back. Exactly. Well, now, you know, Billy, where, you, where and when? Who you, you know? Uh, the the Manhattan Center works. It's an ideal location for them. Uh, plenty of room there to to put the camera tr- the cameras, trucks, and the film equipment. 
uh, and to store it over. They've, there's been many things filmed and, and done. It's a it's a huge area there. There's two. Uh, actually, there's two big ballrooms at the Manhattan Center, the Hammerstein and the Grand Ballroom. Uh, I think they were using the Grand Ballroom. The Hammerstein is a little bit bigger. And let's see how that goes. I know it costs more, but they did, you know, they did their fair share of business with, when they came in. And uh, I don't know how they did at the Sands Hotel. Uh, just a couple of friends of mine went there and said it was okay. They didn't pack it like they wanted to, but, again, they had the areas, you know, were pretty good. Kelly, uh, tell me, what, what was your favorite match that you've been a part of in your career? In my uh, career? Oh, I, I've done so many, but always, you know, you always remember my first match. I, I think I've mentioned it before, my very first match, Manuel Soto against Kevin Sullivan in uh, September of 1975. And, uh, you know, you never forget that. I, I never forget my very first Madison Square Garden match doing the preliminaries. It was Rocky Tomeo against Johnny Rivera. Uh, I've done the championship matches in the Garden. I've done, uh, as you said, Hulk Hogan. I did Bob Backlund. I did Pedro Morales. I've done, uh, oh, Billy Graham. I, you know, the Samoans uh, tag teams. I've done the uh, the the uh, Lumberjacks. I've done Dominic DiNucci and Antonio Pugliese. I've done uh, uh, Dominic DiNucci and uh, what's uh, the other fellow, the, the poor Pat, fellow that got killed Pat, when they were tag teams. Uh, Did you work with uh, the Ultimate Warrior, the one who passed away? I've done a couple of uh, of them. I did uh, – he was uh, – he came on as I was finishing with my contract obligations and stuff. I did a couple of small shows, a couple of uh, 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 out of state, uh, not out of uh, well, out of New York State. I did the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, with him a couple of times. I did the Baltimore Arena a couple of times with him. I have Give me worked. a story uh, about Hogan or Andre. Something interesting that you could share with the fans. Well, Andre, Andre, like I, you know, I've always said that they're all, every, you know, whether you're a heel, whether you're a babyface. You're all, you know, that's your job. That's your persona that you have to put out for your job. You know, one week you're you're a babyface, one week you're a heel. So Hogan, when he was a heel, you know, it was that that's a complete turnover. You know, Andre the Giant, when he became a heel, it's very hard for them. You know, guys that, that started out and became so popular and then, you know, to be a heel and then switch back, of course, makes it always more fun. Andre the Giant as a uh, as a heel, uh, again, the public sees that, and that's the athletic, the athleticism of him, completely changing uh, to you know to pacify and to please everybody, and especially to please uh, the people that are paying him by doing his job correctly. And uh, I've refereed them all both ways when they were heels, when they were uh, baby faces. I was on an airplane one time with Roddy Piper, and uh, a per- and this was when Roddy Piper was doing his heel turn and uh, the person came up to him on the plane and wanted to start a fight with him you know c- cursing at him and everything and why do you Roddy by Mr. Piper why do you do the things you do in the meantime you know 10 seconds before that he and I are sitting side by side on the plane and talking to the people around us talking to the stewardesses <laughs> having our meal and stuff but when the guy came up to to Piper in the angry w- mood that he was uh, you know the trying to put trying to go Piper into becoming Piper. Now he then becomes the heel that this fellow 
you know, <laughs> wants him to be and knows him to be. And so he gets right, you know, they go back into it face-to-face, Roddy Piper and his passenger. So much so that the co-captain had to, uh, of the, the co-pilot of the plane, had to come out and sit the other guy back down. There wasn't any charges or nothing like that. You know, nowadays, right away, you call security uh, on the plane, it's diverted, and something like that, if any kind of uh, nonsense occurs. But uh, this was just, again, uh, the guy, he knows Piper being a bad guy. He's a huge wrestling fan. He sees him sitting there. He's going to go up to him. So it's almost like any fan. You see a, a ball player on the street that you don't like, and you're going to say, "Oh, Jesus! You know, why do you, <laughs> why do you act like this? Why, you, why are you that person?" And uh, it, it just settled down. But I mean, they're all like that, you know. Andre the Giant. We after the after the matches. Uh, oh, at the Baltimore Arena after the matches at Madison Square Garden, everybody would go out for dinner, no matter where you were at the restaurants. People would come over. They like you, they don't like you, but the and the wrestler has to adapt to what he's, you know, every time the wrestler is that person. Hulk Hogan is always Hulk Hogan, no matter what, you know, whether he's going to be the good guy or the bad guy. But, uh, it, you know, it's his own personal life and his own personal thing. There wasn't one wrestler that was, you know, that you could say something bad about, in my instance, you know, and, get, and being somebody that's in the business and stuff and being around these fellas for a long time. There wasn't anybody that I didn't like. There was some that I liked more, you know, that I, you know, that I associated with, I socialized with. We'd go out, families would go out, and and you know, to do different things. Dominic, let me go to you to answer the next question from Bill. Yeah, I remember Billy uh, refereeing matches in Nassau Coliseum all the time when I was there. Just That's about every show, places, Billy. Sure. It, it was uh, Billy. Who did, who were the guys you used to alternate with when 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 you refereed? Well, New York had this was a time where uh, you had to be licensed. They uh, all uh, most of the states had uh, licensing and and sanctioning for the wrestlers for the promotions and things like that. So everybody had to be licensed in New York. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, welcomed in by, at the time, it was the WWF or the WWF and, and all of that, you know, uh, being welcomed in with them um, uh, through Arnold Skolan and, and, T- and Chief Jay Strongbow. They were my, they were like my agents, my guardians for the, uh, for, uh, the WWE, that when shows were in the area, I, they would call me and, uh, you know, am I available, can I do the shows? And that's how I got most of my jobs with that. But I had to be licensed in New York, and so along with me, uh, the other uh, referees in New York, Jack Lotz, Dick Kroll, Henry Terranova. Uh, That's right. That's the guys I remember. There's a bunch of people that were licensed in New York that were assigned by the Athletic Commission. Right, 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 right. I I was assigned by the WWE, but I had to be approved by the New York State Athletic Commission, and my approval was based on my license. Oh, okay. And then the other guys that did TV... Never refereed in New York. Not too many, no. No, like Dick Worley never Dick did. Dick Worley never refereed in New York. He was never licensed for okay. New York. He was licensed Gilberto for... Roman. Right. They were, they, Gilberto Roman was licensed for Pennsylvania. Dick Worley was only licensed for uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Oh, okay. But I, <laughs> I had to pay the $10 in 24 states. Ten dollars. That's all. And that's all it was at that time. Yeah. Oh my God. What is it now? It is. There is not. Well, it's nothing. Nobody is sanctioned. Nobody is licensed. 
That's oh, no. why uh, there's a problem with with nobody, not even the wrestlers being licensed. Uh, we're fighting in New York here. I'm helping them out uh, with the athletic commission here in New York to to make sure that there are doctors on the scene now. Where uh, it was only a few years ago that there were no doctors at the wrestling matches. There were no uh, physicals to the wrestlers. Wrestlers were getting hurt. People were complaining. They had different complaints that uh, they weren't getting paid. They put on these independent shows. They weren't getting paid. Who do you turn to? Uh, you you know you go to the athletic commission. The athletic commission refers the wrestler to their to their uh, uh, political party people. You know, talk to your congressman. Talk to your assemblyman. These are the people who voted. In the New York State, and I'm, and I'm just saying New York, but it went through every state. Uh, these are the people who voted to re- deregulate wrestling, so they're not licensed. There's a problem. Now, See, when I used to go back I, in the I, day, there was always a, a doctor in attendance. That was years ago when everybody was licensed. Yeah. Yep. But uh, they, we've had accidents here. We've had a young man, uh, 19 years old, um, did the wrong thing in the ring, tried to do a moonsault, landed the wrong way. Unfortunately, the young man's paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, and, uh, you know, there was nobody there to check him out. There was nobody there uh, smart enough to ask these wrestlers. You know, when you when you when you find out, well, nowadays I do it, but uh, the other time there was nobody was smart enough to say, or you know, what's going to happen? Are you you know, are you a high flyer? Have you ever done it before? Have you ever juiced before? You know, let me see your forehead. Let me see your scars. Yeah, okay. Now I know you've done it, and these and you can do it the right way. There are people now that uh, you know they want to. Uh, yeah, and I want to get hit with a chair. I said, Have you ever been hit with a chair before? Oh no, this will be my first time. I said, Well, you're not going to do it in front of me. You're not. You know. Yeah, you know, really. You know that if you've never done it before, I'm not going to be the man that's uh, going to be your first. <laughs> you yep. know, to to okay it just in case. But, yeah, really. uh, we're getting a little bit more strict now, and we're getting there are a lot more wrestling schools, the small independent schools that are going are coming up and around in the New York, New Jersey area that well, are really are helping out these kids, shows, and then uh, they're really learning the business. When those independent shows have been going on, do they um, are they um, do they get licensed the referees and the wrestlers? That, no, he's licensed only in New York. Only the promoter is licensed, and by right. that means, what that means now is again that he has to have a promotion license. He has to put up a surety bond to make sure that everybody is going to get paid. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has to get sports insurance on the wrestlers, on the venue, and the people in the venue, That's so the that in New York way. now yes. everybody is covered for injury. But and not in in no other state are they um, regulated in any way. They want the uh, I think New Jersey has a has a uh, a man who if he shows up from the commission and Jersey does have an athletic commission. Most of the states have athletic commissions because of boxing uh, and also now the martial arts in, in a lot of places. But uh, in Jersey, if they know of a wrestling show going on. That night, uh, a representative from the Jersey Athletic Commission will, you know, come there and try and, and collect taxes. You know, look over the look over the field, look how many people are there at the show and stuff, and later on formulate, you know, letters and stuff that are sent to the organization's uh, lawyers and stuff to try and collect taxes and things like that. In New York, it's already done ahead of time. 
You can't put so a show when on. WWE, so when WWE comes to Brooklyn, is that regulated show? Yeah, yeah. you mean uh, to the Barclays, you're saying? Yeah. yeah if the WWE, yeah, because it's in New York. Everybody right. in New York has to be licensed. Vince McMahon is licensed here in New York. Um, Joe Bellini, who does the Warriors of Wrestling, is licensed in New York. Um, Gino Caruso, who does the ECPW shows, independent shows, is licensed here in New York. They're, they're, all, they're all licensed, whether they're out in Long Island or you know, anywhere in New York State. New York State is the only one that demands that the um, promoters be licensed. What's the latest on this newest promoter? Uh, not King Jordan, but there's a, a guy named Jordan. He's been promoting shows. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, yes, Jordan Bill? Schneider. He's doing very well. Uh, you know, uh, God bless him. He's putting on tremendous shows. Uh, he's It's costing him a lot of money, and there's a whole load of speculation as to where he's getting this money. I've never sat down and asked him where you're getting it, but it, but I know it's not cheap. He He's been bringing in uh, all, all wrestlers, men and women, uh, who are named people that have just get released, either from TNA or um, WWE if their contract is up and they just and they just leave. He's been bringing in quite a few big talent, big names. He's just I just did a show Any with him. He had McIntyre. Yeah. Which names come to mind? Uh, well, he's had Tommy Dreamer on all these shows, um, the fellow McIntyre from the WWE. He's got uh, Maria Canales that's been on the shows. He's been had uh, he's had the Dudleys on the show. He's had quite a few people. Is that the yeah. FWE Family Wrestling Entertainment? That's the one. I thought so. Okay. My friend Kenny used to go to all the ones in the, in, in in the Brooklyn shows and see all the. All the talent from WWE and TNA that uh, he just did, in he between just did promotion. two days of shows in a row, which again, you know, I, you know, in my mind, you know, you don't want to kill the business by having to, you know, you, 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 the people are buying tickets. That's the thing, and you don't want to drain them of everything. But he put on two tremendous shows uh, last month in Brooklyn, back to back, Saturday and uh, Friday and Saturday night. Sold out, sold out. Four hundred people in wow. each show in a gymnasium, in a, in a school gymnasium, and he filmed it. You know, he filmed it for his own internet. Uh, uh, what do they call that now? The internet pay-per-views. Yeah, and, the uh, You know, and yeah. he films it and sells the the films and stuff. He's very smart at what he's doing. Everything is as engineered. His TV cameras all over the place. Lights. They're set up. The ring is is you know set up ahead of time. And set up right. That's one of the jobs. That's one of my jobs. Make sure that the ring is positioned right and uh, set up right. That there's no problems. But uh, Billy, you he, hear from, he knows uh, Tommy what he's doing. D anymore? What's that? Promoter Tommy D. No, he's out of the business. Oh uh, yeah, I heard that, but I thought maybe he popped up somewhere. No, he hasn't done anything in a number of years. Oh okay. He was good. He was good during you know in his heyday in his time. Uh, yeah, he used was, to go to all the school shows in Brooklyn. Okay. Right, but he used to get all the, the the headliners from the WWE because he was very good friends with Vince McMahon Sr. Oh, see. And the senior would, you know, sell him the wrestlers. You know, they, they would do this. Yeah. He would get his money for it. And uh, 
you got you got Bob Backlund as the world champion was doing house shows. Yep. Andre the Giant was doing house shows. You know, Hulk Hogan did a couple of house shows before he was champion and stuff. But he he had a lot of big names. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. And uh, Billy, you were didn't work WrestleMania one, right? Because they wanted you to sign something. Yes, one, well, WrestleMania one and ten, I wouldn't sign the release. They, you know, wrestlers that are working there now are all employed, and they, well, they're employed, so they were on the payroll and they do a number of things. With me, I was a my I was all a self contractor, and again through Jay Strombo and through Arnold Scullin, they would you know call me for the shows and stuff, and. Uh, WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 10, both of them were in New York at Madison Square Garden. I was licensed to do the shows. I was asked to come and do the shows. But Vince Jr. said that I had to sign a release. So this way, uh, when they put me on the film of filming the shows, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, if I signed the release uh, for that, I would do the show, and I would be on the film and not get anything for it. It would be for the you know, the knowledge or the entertainment that I would be on film. I, uh, in New York, the referees get paid, and again, that was regulated by the commission, we get paid a percentage of the gate. So I made a hell of a lot more money than any referee that was on that show. So, and because I was there, and they wanted to, they, they had to use me anyway, the way they looked at it, you're going to pay me anyway. So I did, like, the opening bouts, the, the, uh, the, black, the black cards, you know, the opening shows, the dark match. Okay, so you did that, and uh, so that was that, and then uh, you went up to, what, 2003? I refereed up until 2003, yes, January of 2000, oh, no, March of 2003, from September 75 to uh, 2003, almost 27 years. Did you ever have a match with Rock? With who? With The Rock. Yeah, I did The Rock's very first bout at Madison Square Garden. I did him a couple of times when he first came on, and he was doing like the small uh, spots uh, with his, you know, with the cousins. The Samoans and The Rock are all related, you know. So they, they had the uh, the Samoans broke him in a little bit, and uh, he was uh, he was Prince Maiva Jr. You know, when he first started because he was related to Peter Maivia, but he was really you know the son of Rocky Johnson. But they worked that angle and stuff. But his very first uh, bout in Madison Square Garden, I was the referee for that. Survivor Series. No, yeah, was this was the house show, the house ones. The house show, okay. Yeah. It was against his cousin, who's the Sultan. Yeah. Was, Fatu, oh, Rikishi. Something. Fatu. Yeah, Rikishi was yeah. the Sultan, yeah. Rikishi then, okay. Yeah. 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 That was his first bout at the Garden. What about Stone Cold, Steve Austin? Him again. I did him mostly on the small, uh, the house shows in the beginning. We did a lot in the, in the Virginia, the Richmond, Virginia area, the uh, Landover, Maryland area, a couple, of, you know, down south when he was first coming up. I did him for the. Uh, uh, I did him when he was Steve Austin. I did him when he was was um, one of the blondes. He was uh, Hollywood uh, blondes with Pillman. Right, right down uh, for the uh, WCW. Mm-hmm. He was Steve, oh, okay. Steve something else. Yeah, he had a different name. W for a little bit, right? What's that? You did go to WCW for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I've been very well, fortunate. Was... I, you know, you know, you when you start out, you never think of. Uh, you know, I did it because I love the sport. I love professional wrestling. I still love professional wrestling. I still go to to as many shows as I possibly can. I I see it all on television. I watch it all the time. And uh, so when I started out, I never thought. You know, thank God I I, I was able to to develop a different style that some people like, and the wrestlers like. That's the most important thing, that the wrestlers have to like you. And uh, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, uh, we don't want, you know, we don't want this fellow to referee. As Billy Caputo's here, we want Billy Caputo. And it got to a point where everybody, you know, and, you know, I could pat myself on the back. They would say, you know, we don't want anybody. We want, everybody would want Billy Caputo to be their referee. And, uh you know that that just can't, that, that can't happen first of all, and that physically I can't do that. You know, work the whole shows and stuff. But uh, it, I've I've been very fortunate, very lucky. Uh, other promotions like me, I did different shows in different areas. Puerto Rico, through Puerto Rico, I met the Giant Baba and uh, Justin uh, Luger, uh, the Tiger, Lucian Tiger, Lucian. Oh, Lucian Tiger, yeah. And uh, I went to Japan with them. I went to uh, Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon. I did England for uh, oh, uh, uh, what's his name? Ali, the uh, uh, the, um, the the Arab guy. He took me to England. Oh, there was quite a few. I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate. I've been I've been around the world completely four times. Wow. I've been to Singapore, and then we did shows right off of the South China Sea. We've been in Korea and. And England and France and and Italy, you know, and again mostly uh, independent promotions that heard of Billy, you know, Billy Caputo got in touch with me. Wow. So uh, who who did you hang out with the most, like uh, when you would ride uh, on the bus or the plane? Well, Which, you know, uh, it depended uh, again who we were and stuff. We did, I did a two week European tour with Jake Roberts and. Um, uh, well, on the show was Jake Roberts, Bill Eady. I hung out with them a lot. Uh, we did. We went overseas with uh, Kevin Sullivan, with uh, Diamond Dallas Page. We did uh, a show in in the Philippines with Wendy Richter, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, it was you know who's ever there. Mostly for those shows, I was the only referee. We did a couple of other shows, you know, where a couple of other referees came along, you know, on different times. But mostly it was myself and maybe another fella. When we did Japan, there was, you know, they had all theirs. I was like a special guest referee. Uh, the same thing in Puerto Rico. They had a tournament there when Carlos Colon lost his title to Abdullah the Butcher. They had a, a two-week tournament where we we uh, wrestled. or they, they put the shows on in every major Baseball and soccer stadium down in uh, in Puerto Rico, that Bayamon Stadium and Ponce, all over Puerto Rico, and again sold out. Fifty thousand people coming out for wrestling shows. You and, know, on the World Wrestling Council shows on TV, every so often they'll throw in a Matt Classic, and I, yeah. I I saw you a few months ago, well maybe a year ago, because they don't do the Matt Classic no more. With with Abby and and Carlos Colon and I said, oh shit, there's Billy in there now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, I'm on the, the WWE has their network now. Right. When it was the Madison Square Garden Classics, they had me on a lot. Uh, now this the network has me on a lot, and uh, <laughs> I'm still not getting paid because I didn't sign any release for that. Oh wow. Uh, I got to chase that money. 
<laughs> Maybe someday I'll, I'll be ha- I'll be in need of that kind of money that I'll go and chase it down. Right now, I'm very comfortable. Good. Good. <laughs> well, what is the biggest uh, pay- besides the WrestleMania, of course? Which is the biggest pay per view you had and performed on? Well, it, uh, you know, to be honest with you know the pay per view pay per views are, are a dime a dozen you know for everybody that's that's the money maker. Uh, I'll tell you the two week tournament that we did in in Puerto Rico, which was their pay per view, uh, which was you know very cheap. Again, you know you're not talking uh, you know a very economic country and stuff. So the people that did uh, that that's why the the stadiums were mostly filled with people, but they did have their own kind of. Uh, pay-per-view uh, outlets and stuff, uh, Hugo Savanovich ran them when when he was down there. He was the guy in charge of that. Him and uh, Victor... Uh, Canones. Victor Canones. Yeah. That's right, the two of them. They were the ones in charge of that. They were the ones that brought me down. And uh, that was that, it was just a, a fantastic thing. You know, for two weeks, uh, I hung out with Ric Flair, with, the, with Barry Windham, his father, uh, Blackjack, Mulligan, Blackjack Wyndham, the, uh, oh, my God, the Funks, Abdullah the Butcher, the, uh, oh, there were so many. And, and you know, just having a good time. All the uh, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, it was it was just a fantastic uh, experience. Billy, was Billy Rick Canones related to Gorilla Monsoon, or was that only a rumor? Was who? Was Victor Canones related to Gorilla Monsoon? Yes, he was. He was. How would I how would I relate it? Because they used to say that back then, but I said, nah, can't be. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a family relation there. Oh, it was a Monsoon's son though. Yeah. No, no, Monsoon's son was Joey Morella. It was Joey, yeah. Okay. That was that's his biological son. Right. Victor Victor they would say is his uh, fraternal son. Oh, okay. Well I got I got a picture with Andre the Giant against Big John Studd. And the referee is Joey. Yeah. And all three of them are wrestling in heaven now. Yeah. Yep. Along with Ox Baker, who he just lost. I just heard about that. I'm very sorry to hear that. 80 years old. Oh, my God. Island, she just passed away, I think, a year or two ago. Who? His, Who? his uh, wife, Ox Baker's wife, about a year or two ago. And uh, I seen him at a couple of shows. And, uh, you know, it was very hard for getting him getting over that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about him going, yes. Did you referee any of his matches? I'm sorry? Did you ever referee any of his matches? Ox Baker? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, Ox Baker was, was, he was a character, and, you know, he's one of those guys that was wanted in all the territories, because he was, a, you know, again, much younger, we're talking about. Nowadays, you know, he tried to do his act and stuff, and it doesn't go over too good with the younger Kids or the younger guys that he wrestles, he did, he does his own thing. But uh, years ago, he was a, a huge attraction. He was oh, yeah, the, in the movies. They played everything up with him. But very nice, very name? nice gentleman. Again, nothing like what you would see, you know, the persona of the wrestler that you'd see. He's very nice. Oh, he was nice. He was nice. He was funny. Joke yeah. around with you. Yep. Yep. But then he had this big bellowing voice that would scare the hell out of you, like, oh, my God, this guy's going to kill me. Ah, that was the gimmick, the voice and the mustache, the eyebrows. And the eyebrows, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, uh, uh, 
So it was that Bull Curry used to have those eyebrows too. Again, I, I only met him. I never I never refereed him. He was he was again he had finished, he had retired when I came on, but I got to see him. I met him through his son, Fred Curry. And uh again, what a gentleman. But again, the big the big loud the deep voice, the big eyebrows. Yep. Yep. The Again, not, you know, you gotta. Again, this this is a business for these guys, and you want to be good at your business, and you want to be prepared, and you want to be, you know, what you what you want, you, what you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable being a heel, if you're comfortable being a babyface, you know, then and you work on it, and that's what they do. Billy, I remember a lot of years ago, I was at a wrestling event, me and my father, and you were the referee, and I had to be Altamore. Altamore had a foreign object, had it, quote-unquote. He never okay. had nothing at all. And I'm watching you check Altamore, and you can't find a foreign object. And Altamore, after after you went to see what the other wrestler was doing, Altamore went in his trunks, made it look like he was coming out with this big object, but he had nothing in his hand at all, which meant he had nothing in his trunks at all. So okay. you couldn't find anything because nothing was there to begin with. Well, they, you got to understand, my job as the referee to make the whole match, no matter what the people think about it or, or what they thought, what their presumption was at the time, my job is to make the ra- the wrestling match look as real as possible. Yep. Now, my job is to find, if you think someone is using a foreign object, brass knuckles or wrapped up tape or wrapped up, sticks or pipes, if you think a wrestler is using that and you're looking for it, right? and the wrestler raises it up in the air and everybody in the place can see it, but I can't find it. That's right. If I can't find it, I can't make a judgment on it. I can. I just let the match continue. If like he George puts Steele. it down again and hides it, you know. How many times did you check George Steele for that taped up bottle opener and never found it? A, a million. Yeah, see? A million times. And it was in his mouth. And the fans are yelling, it's in his mouth, it's in his mouth. I can't go by what the people are saying. Again, I have to make the matches look as legitimate as possible. I'm getting paid to do a job. I can't get paid for listening to what the people say. I have to call it as I see it. I started a riot at Madison Square Garden one time. Uh, It was Dino Bravo. That was the name I was trying to think of before. Dino Bravo and... uh, uh, Danucci, Dominic Danucci, were the tag team champions, and they lost to the Lumberjacks because they were double teaming, beating the hell out of uh, Dominic Danucci. Well, one of the Lumberjacks was in the ring, and the other Lumberjack was on the outside of the ring, and Dino Bravo would be running across the ring to try and save him. My job as the referee, the rule is only one person per team in the ring at the time. Now, That's even right. though the two of them were beating the hell out of Dominic DiNucci, only one was in the ring. The other one was on the outside. I pushed Dino Bravo. I had to stay with him and push him back, get him out of the ring, while DiNucci took the beating and he took the fall, and the uh, uh, the Lumberjacks won the match, and they were the new tag team champions. And in Madison Square Garden, as you know, a very Italian audience, very yep. ethnic uh, they w- didn't. They wouldn't let me leave. I had to get. There had to be security oh to get me out of the God. ring, out of the ring, and out of the arena. And at one time, I was sitting there with my father. There was another referee in a different match, and you were sitting ringside as a standby referee. Right. And you had glasses on. 
Right. And I remember telling my father, no wonder why Billy couldn't find a foreign object. He didn't <laughs> no, have his I'm, glasses on in the ring. I'm nearsighted. <laughs> I'm nearsighted. So I could see I could see fine close up. I can see the match while I'm inside. Yeah, I that's what I am. I'm nearsighted. If I'm on the other side, I'm nearsighted. I, I couldn't see the crowd outside the ring. Right. But my distance, but distance on the outside to uh, go into the ring, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. But I, did, I didn't need glasses in, inside the ring. No, no. Um, Billy, did you get a chance to ever referee uh, with John Cena? John Cena? No, he came after me. I'm doing, uh, I've done, you know, uh, as an inspector for the State Athletic Commission, I've done a lot of the WWE shows, and he's been on the shows, and, and what a gentleman he is. He, he, you know, he's a very nice, he's a very intelligent man, and it's very hard. I can see it, you know, with him. It's very hard. He doesn't, you know, he he's trying to please the crowd, and he's trying what to do his What do you thing, do with the man called The crowd, uh, you know, is against him. Some of the people are against him. They don't like some of the things that he stands for, that he does. It's hard, and he's troubled by that. Uh, talk about uh, Sting and uh, Ric Flair. Uh, give me your thoughts on them. Well, the two of them, are, you know, in their prime, absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal uh, athletes and stuff. Uh, in the WCW, uh, I refereed Ric Flair against Terry Allen, Magnum TA, they called him, before he was in the automobile accident. Twice I refereed them. In Virginia, one in Virginia, one in Baltimore, and twice they wrestled nonstop for one hour. Wow! That you know the the shape in and going back and forth. Very few rest holes. You know, if they wanted to take a rest, it was you know go outside the ring and run around on the outside. That that got them there. You know, back in shape, got the got their win back. But the you know they could go all night long. They were they were phenomenal athletes. Sting is the same way. I I I've worked with Sting. I. Uh, uh, once or twice, not too often now, but uh, it, you know, again when he was with the blonde hair, when he was just coming up and stuff. And uh, I refereed him once when he was when he refereed uh, Steve Borden. And uh, again, he worked with uh, uh, Steve Austin, you know, as oh. a tag team partner when they first came up. And we did that in Texas and stuff. I, I worked in Texas for Gary Hart. Again, uh, you know, he liked the way I worked. He liked. He saw me down in in Puerto Rico and asked, you know, would I like to come into that territory? And I worked with, for him. I worked for Scandor Akbar in Texas, and uh, it was just—it's great. We recently lost Dr. Ken Ramey. Remember him? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the manager of the interns. He was up in his eighties, also. Right. Yes. And last week we lost Cowboy Bob Kelly. Him, I don't recall. Yeah, he was in the continental area, like where Eddie Gilbert was promoting back in the day. He was up in his 80s also. Oh, boy. Well, God bless them. Yep. Three of them in a row up in their 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's quite a few. These, you know, again, you can imagine what kind of shape these wrestlers are are in. You know, yep. if it wasn't for steroids, if it wasn't for the drugs, they'd go on forever. Their bodies are conditioned athletes. They're absolutely in phenomenal shape. Again, with the uh, in the New York in New York State, we have a doctor now examines everybody, uh, you know, for their blood pressure and their heart rate and everything before and after the matches. And uh, believe me, nobody nobody gets into that ring if they're uh, a little bit questionable by the doctor. And so far, the, oh my gosh, I would say like in the last ten years, I think there's only been one man that his blood pressure was a little bit high, his heart rate was a little erratic. 
And uh, so I'm sorry, you know, we don't want you in the ring, you know, for your own safety. So we put him to work as a, you know, like a manager, a valet type of thing, I recall. But uh, that's the only one. Everybody else is in phenomenal shape. Now, coming up in Japan, I think it's next month, there's going to be a Legends match. You're not going to believe who's in this. Terry Funk taking on Mil Mascaris. Yeah, I believe the both of them can do it the same, the same thing. Terry Funk has never stopped training and working out every day. Mil Mascaris the same way. Uh, It's it's a Mexican thing that... uh, you know, he, it, it's their condition. That Lucha Libre style of wrestling and training goes on all the time. And even though he's retired, and I know he does some promotions and, a pers- and appearances and stuff, he's in phenomenal shape. He was in the um, he was inducted recently into the wrestling professional wrestling Hall of Fame up in Amsterdam, New York, and he just amazed the crowd that he was in such phenomenal shape. Spoke very well. He had the accent, so uh, you know, a little hard. For some to understand, but uh, uh, again, very gracious, very personable, and uh, just you know, in in tremendous shape. Yeah, he always maintained that good physique, Mil Mascaris. Yeah. yeah. There's a uh, uh, something on these YouTube things. I'm not too familiar with all that. My kids and my grandkids all do that with the tweeting and everything, and the and the YouTubes and the googling and something like that. Uh, somebody once came to me and showed me that. They Googled some kind of a story on me, and it was a refer- I was a referee in Mill Mascaris against Johnny Rods from the old wow. Allentown tapings and stuff. And he looks, and that's that's 20 years ago, and and Mill Mascaris looks 20, it might be 30 years ago. Mill Mascaris looks exactly the same. I think he's 71. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting wow. close. <laughs> no, you are not close to that. Uh, I'm close. <laughs> uh, you can have it. You want to guess? I don't know. No, I don't bother. I'll tell you next time I see you. <laughs> well, I'm going to be I'm going to be 60 in March, so I'm I don't think we're that I don't think we're that far apart. Oh yes, we are. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> Remember, all I've right. been around since '75. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. I used to go to Madison Square Garden all the time with my father and my grandfather. My very first time I ever went there. It was uh, it was Bruno San Martino against Skull Murphy, and the main event was Antonino Rocca against uh, the Mighty Zuma. Oh, I remember the Mighty Zuma. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That was that was way back '62. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been a fan. I've been a fan for all my life, as far as I remember. And then again, being a part of this and everything, it's just it's just fantastic. They didn't, right you never now, had a match where you where they actually pick you as a partner to referee uh, to uh, to wrestle. No, no, no. See, Again, I tell, they they've asked me. They've asked me like to do that. a few, a lot of things that were a little bit off, you know, not off color, but off of what the normal referee would do. You know, we we always we you get involved in gimmicks. You know, you take a bump here and there and this and that. You know, you're all prepared for all of that. But yeah. uh, yes, I was asked to participate in the matches, and you know that I don't. The referee is supposed to be the referee and the referee only. The referee has a very important job right. and a function in each match. But uh, you know, don't try, don't try and go outside of that. And absolutely, you know, the bottom line is absolutely nobody, unless they were my family, ever bought a ticket to to come see a wrestling match to see the referee. Yeah, right. You know, they enjoy it. I now they put everybody in there. They like put a I manager do. in there. 
They got a guy dressed as a bunny rabbit in there. Yeah, that's, that's well, again, the kids like that. You know, it's not going to last for long. I hope not, really. Yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem. Things change. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, Billy, do you like the wrestling today more than you, than when you did it? Or do you like the old stuff better? It's, you know, it's all the same. It's, it's all the same to me. It's different people, and it's different styles. It's different matches. But it's professional wrestling is professional wrestling. The only thing I, I you know, criticize about is too much on TV is too much talking, and now they're even bringing yeah, this talking that's what into it is. the shows and stuff, the house shows and stuff. A lot of people talking. You know, you can talk, say your piece, set your spot up. You know, if you're promoting your next match or this match or that, you know, say your thing, get it over with, and you know, get out of the ring. Yep. But too much time. Monday night, Triple H, I think, was in four different segments on the yeah. show. Yeah, and talking each one. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. And this is what the kids nowadays are, you know, built up to. So, you know, to say that how bad it is or not. No, it's not bad. It's it's what people are paying their money for to do everything. Yep. I know, though, the, uh, people complained uh, about the show in Barclays, uh, the WWE Monday Night Raw show, uh, the one where The Rock made his appearance again, Russo, against Rusoff. That was a lot the best of the matches, part of the show. A lot was of the, the matches Rock were on up. the overhead screen. Yep. There were a lot of them that were pre-recorded. A lot of the stuff that was pre-recorded done in the back. There was very few live matches, and uh, you know I heard a lot of complaints about that. Yep. Through the through the athletic commission again, you know people called up and said, "Hey, listen, we paid good money for for tickets, and they didn't wrestle." Well, no, you saw the show. You saw the whole show. If yeah, it wasn't that's true too. Live they saw the show. You, yeah. It was yeah. on the screen where everybody at home saw the same show. Right. And you knew, you know, going in. You go, you know, it's a WWE Monday Night Raw, so you know you have yep. some idea. Yeah, the talking people thing. don't even like to change your names. Every so often, McMahon decides to change names of people and make them look entirely different. Uh, those are that's back in the, the day business, we didn't have that business moves. Those are business moves. Yeah. So he signs a person to a contract by that name. Well, now you know, and maybe they didn't work out as well as they could have, and so okay, we'll. Uh, uh, you know, change the name, give them a new contract, a little lower pay, and, w- and working off the old contract. Work off Keep the, back in the day, Crazy Luke Graham was Luke Graham. Blassie was Blassie. Uh, Gene Kaniski was Gene Kaniski. Waldo Von Erich was Waldo Von Erich, no matter where they went. Now you go someplace else, you can't use the same name because it's copyrighted and trademarked and whatever. But yet we know who the guy is. Yeah, yeah. And Bill, what do you do now? It's all business. Now, it's, all, it's all in the business, the business yep. side of it. What do you do now, Billy? You're an inspector? I'm, yeah, I'm, an, I'm retired from refereeing. I'm a, an inspector for the New York State Athletic Commission. I inspect the wrestling matches, professional wrestling matches, and professional boxing. I'm a corner inspector for the boxing and for the wrestling. I'm usually a single. I'm singled out. I'm the only one there. Uh, to make sure that the show goes off according to the rules that are set up by New York State. I inspect the rings, the ring ropes. I inspect the doctor. I inspect all the equipment by the doctor just in case there is an accident. I inspect the uh, the structure of the ring, how it's there. I have to be there early enough to watch the ring get set up and how, it, how it's all put together. And uh, then the forms. Did you get involved the UFC? Do you, get involved with the UFC? Do you get involved with the UFC as well? 
No, no. We don't do anything. That's not in New York yet. It has been approved by Albany by the state legislature. They just they're trying. They've been trying for a number of years uh, in developing rules. The the uh, New York State is very afraid of somebody getting seriously hurt. They're going to try because right now there are four uh, lawsuits against New York State uh, because of fighters who have been hurt in boxing, severely hurt in boxing. There is that one lawsuit. Uh, I think it's it's only pending. There's nothing really uh, 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 gone to court yet or anything like that about that poor kid that uh, got paralyzed in the wrestling match. There was really nothing that could be done about that. But uh, as far as boxing, the, the professional boxing, again, you're on television. There was uh, they were they were you know, pay-per-view fights and things like that all on New York that everybody saw, and uh, two people died as of the injuries. One person, uh, two people are in comas. Still, so there are lawsuits about wow. that. New York State is very afraid. And again, when when the Marshall, the MMA, and the UFA start, came out originally, how you know everybody remembers how violent they were. They've toned down quite a bit, but New York doesn't want to take any kind of a chance. Now they're losing a tremendous amount of money because they're all. It's very popular everywhere else. They're drawing crowds. People, uh, you know, are interested in that kind of punishment and stuff. And uh, sure. New York is losing, but they're willing to take that, that gamble. Like I said, it has been passed. You know, yeah, we would like to, you know, we're not saying no to it. We said yes to it. But let's get, you know, let's sit down and get some defining rules and regulations. And what we were told as inspectors, as the New York State Athletic Commission, when it does come into New York, we will be in control. We will be the controlling agents. So we need a set of rules for me to act upon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Billy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure when you come on. Believe me, it's always been a pleasure at any time. Awesome, awesome. So uh, I'll keep in touch with you with uh, what we spoke about over the weekend. That would be great. uh, We're going to talk some hell in the cell now. But uh, thanks for... uh, Thanks for coming on for, for, for a little bit. Oh, I wanna, again, it. I want to thank you, Double J, Blackjack, Dominic. I want to thank you all. See you soon down the road in 2015. I hope so. Pleasure was all ours, Billy. God bless. All right. You take care of yourself. Bye-bye now. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one. Okay. Uh, thank you to Mr. Billy Computer, of course. Uh, Billy, uh, you're familiar with him very much, Dominic, right? Oh, yeah, that was a great surprise. I know Billy well from way back in the day. And likewise with you, Blackjack, right? Oh, you're kidding uh, from the beginning. <laughs> from okay, the beginning. I did want to get into the Hell in the Cell uh, pay-per-view and our predictions. Oh, fuck so, that. Uh, Bring Billy back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Hell in the Cell should be called Shit in the Toilet. Well, <laughs> but uh, seriously, uh, what is this, Judge AJ, the uh, 15th annual or something like that? Well, it's the 6th annual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, they've had a total, if you can believe it, 27 Hell in a Cell matches in before. The Undertaker has the record of being in the most Hell in a Cells. He's been in 12 of them. Uh, they did a by-the-numbers yesterday on Raw, which they talked about guys like 
Taker and Triple H, who both have six victories inside the cell. Guys like HBK and Orton, Batista, Lesnar, Angle. So many guys have competed in the cell. Some have never, uh, their careers were never the same after the hell in the cell. And uh, it's just, uh, it's, we got two matches coming up. One thing I like about uh, Hell in the Cell Sunday is I remember last year. Last year, the poster for Hell in the Cell was R-Truth. And don't get me wrong, I love R-Truth. He's a great guy. Too. But why was R-Truth on the cover of the Hell in the Cell poster? He wasn't even on the pay-per-view, let alone the main event. And yet this year, I feel like they did it right. This year, they have Dean Ambrose. Ambrose is a huge part of the pay-per-view. He's being heavily promoted. He is the face of the pay-per-view, and I really like that. And, uh, you know, it definitely makes more sense. I mean, it's a small little thing, but little things mean a lot. But, uh, you know, this year's uh, Hell in the Cell, as Dominic said, you know, it took them one night, one week before the pay-per-view to get everything together. We went the whole entire month not knowing what was going to be on the card. They didn't really do the best job of promoting the pay-per-view all month. But yet yesterday, (laughs) one day they had, the one week before the pay-per-view, they did everything they possibly could to get this pay-per-view together, to promote it. And I think they did, for the most part, a good job. They even had a surprise guest uh, we talked about when The Rock came back in Brooklyn. There was another surprise guest, Mick Foley, who uh, is not contracted with the WWE and yet made a surprise appearance. So I think they're doing everything they can to make Hell in a Cell worthwhile. As I think Blackjack said before, you know, the thing is, for the pay-per-views nowadays, it's not like it used to be where you had to promote the, the show, you know, weeks in advance to get people interested, to get people to buy the pay-per-view. You don't have to do that business model in today's world because in today's world, there's already a percentage of people who automatically are being billed because of the WWE Network. I was already billed for my pay-per-view because I was billed at the start of the month. So I'm getting how, the pay-per-view. how much was that? Regardless. How much $9.99. $9.99. $9.99. That's right. So whether or not, uh, you know, if you don't like the car, you think, oh, well, these are shit matches. Well, if you're a network subscriber, you're not paying $50 for this pay-per-view. You're paying $9.99. Exactly. Whether or not you think it's a great card or whether it was just thrown together a week before the pay-per-view, you're getting your money's worth for $9.99. Are you getting your money's worth for $50? I do 
Time Warner gives me a, a, a pain in my ass of giving me the signal. So well, I said, forget you, I'm not ordering no pay-per-views. Well, what do you put the play on? What is, it, is it a tape or is it a DVD? No, Jeff puts it on VHS for me. Really? That still exists? Yeah, hey, I'm still in school. I do I whatever I got, I do it on VHS or yeah, I tell him I if do you're too. doing it for me, I want VHS. Yeah. Wow. But uh you mentioned Dean Ambrose to tell you he's starting to become uh, everybody's favorite right now, JJ. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at CM Punk, who left the company earlier this year. You look at Daniel Bryan, who's out with an injury. You look at Roman Reigns, who had an emergency hernia surgery. You have a lot of guys who aren't in the picture right now, and this is the time when guys step up and show their work. And Dean Ambrose is one of those guys who has stepped up. He's really had this very energetic uh, character. He has this anti-authority. He's kind of this rebel without a cause and people gravitate towards that. And the thing is with Dean Ambrose that I really like is his promos. His promos are always engaging. When he speaks, he doesn't sound like he's reading off of a script. He doesn't sound stale or boring or predictable. Dean Ambrose is exciting. He's fun to watch. You don't know what he's going to do. You believe everything that he says. They had a segment on Raw yesterday where he pulled out a, a crash dummy puppet of Seth Rollins, and he did a he did a pile driver. He did a pile driver to a mannequin. I bet you Vince must, might have fined him a hundred grand because the pile driver is an illegal move in the WWE. But it was just a really great kind of fun moment that only I think Dean Ambrose could make that work. You know whether or not it went too long or not, it didn't bother me because Ambrose made it work. Rollins came out to do his usual banter, and then of course, like I said, we had a big surprise with Mick Foley which was really great. I didn't expect Foley to be there. He said that he came back to visit an old friend, the old friend, of course, being the hell in a cell. And he talked about in his career, there's pre-cell, Mick Foley, and then post-cell. And his career was just never really the same. I think the injuries, he didn't have much time left after hell in a cell. He made hell in a cell feel like it was a devastating thing that, you know, it's a special match. You know, of course, with the Hell in a Cell every year, maybe two matches a, a pay-per-view, you know, you kind of get used to it. It's been around for, what, 18 years or so. I mean, the fans are used to this. It's predictable. But the Foley made it feel special, and I think uh, Rollins and Ambrose will deliver. They're two young guys. They're going to go all out. They're going to do everything they can to make that cell work. And I think it, it should be probably one of the most exciting matches at the pay-per-view. And uh, Mick Foley, again, he made a a remark towards uh, Seth Rollins that he said, in any other normal circumstance, he sees Seth Rollins winning at Hell in a Cell. But since it is inside the Hell in a Cell, these aren't normal circumstances. And the loose cannon, the ticking time bomb that is Dean Ambrose, this is definitely more suited towards him. And, uh, you know, the fans, you know, anytime I go on social media, I see the fans, they love Ambrose. They, they're always tweeting about him. He's yes. a hashtag. He's trending. And people just they yes. really gravitated towards him. He's really becoming one of their next top guys. And like I said before, when guys like Brian and Roman Reigns, who we all thought was going to be the next John Cena, they're out of the picture. So it's really important for a guy like Dean to take command and to rise up. And right now, he's that guy. He is their top guy right now besides, of course, John Cena. 
But then I love, you know, what they've been doing with Ambrose is he's not buddy-buddy with John Cena. He knows that there's an audience out there that doesn't like John Cena. So it doesn't make sense for Ambrose to be all buddy-buddy with this guy. He's always said, you know, I don't like you. Don't give me a reason not to like you. They've always been in their way. And I really enjoyed that. They're really doing their best to protect Dean Ambrose's image and trying to keep him where he is. Because, you know, these are the times where he was in, a, of course, the Shield. And, you know, anytime you're in a tag team or a trio, there's always that one guy that becomes the superstar, the main eventer, the world champion, and the other guys go off into obscurity. But in this case with the Shield, all three guys have the potential to be future world champions. All guys have the potential to be top superstar, uh, superstars. Rollins is doing a great job as the heel, as the lapdog for the authority. But Dean Ambrose is definitely the one to keep an eye on. I think he has a lot of big things coming. Now, I don't know if that will change when Roman Reigns comes back, but right now Dean Ambrose is really hot right now, and he's the guy to watch every week. And JJ, let me ask you the something. main event for this You were Sunday just talking period. about last night, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you notice anything about Mick Foley? Besides the Santa Claus uh, attire? Yeah. Well, what, what, what else about Mick Foley did you notice? Somebody left it on my hotline, and I looked at it, and I said, this guy's right. Mick Foley looked like he was wearing a false beard. Oh, it could have been possible because, as you do know, as I mentioned, he's wearing the the Santa Claus thing. He's promoting a documentary movie that he made called "I Am Santa Claus." So his sort of theme is for three hundred and uh, for the days or so, he's been wearing Santa Claus gear to promote his movie. Every day, every day, he wears something very Christmas related, of course, for Santa Claus. So I think because he's promoting the movie. He probably might have, like, a white beard or something to promote the movie. He's dressed like Santa to be as, as realistic and authentic as possible. So it's possible during Monday Night Raw, maybe he wore a, a fake beard. Maybe he had to dye his beard so it looked kind of different. Maybe it didn't look natural. But uh, I know he is promoting that movie, I Am Santa Claus. So if he looked a little bit different, it probably had to do with uh, that movie. Yeah. But the beard looked so thick, and it looked like it was almost even on crooked. And I said, it looks like he's got on a false beard. We know Mick always has a beard, but never never this thick and, and long. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say the, the length could be because of the movie. Again, you know, he, maybe he dyed it. Maybe he was wearing a false beard just to keep his image for the WWE audience. Because obviously if Mick Foley came in with a white Santa's beard, I think the fans were like, what the hell happened to Mick Foley? My God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely, he did look a little bit different. I just figured, well, you know, that's Foley. Foley always has sort of a unique look. Sometimes he has long hair, sometimes he has short hair. Sometimes his beard is uh, a little bit more clean cut. But uh, in this case, yeah, he did have a very longer beard. The color was was different. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I can't say for sure if he was wearing a false beard. Like I said, maybe he had to re-buy his beard or he had to bleach his beard because, like I said, he's promoting that movie, I Am Santa Claus, where he literally dresses up like Santa. He's, that's his baby right now. That's his focus is the movie. So the fact that WD brought him in at the last minute, maybe he had to make some changes so he could accommodate to correct his image for the WWE fans. Yeah, yeah. And um, what is the main event for Sunday's pay-per-view, JJ? 
Well, you know, that's a very good question, Shane, because <laughs> they have been saying that it's a double main event. And that that's kind of redundant because at the end of the day, only one match is going to be the closer. Only one match is going to be the main event. It's not a double main event. I know they try to do that to make the superstars look big and important, have every match matter, and I get that. But, you know, to the fans, we understand there's the match that closes the show. That is the main event. That is the match everyone is looking forward to. I really hope that it's Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. This is what we've been building up towards for the last few months with uh, Ambrose and Rollins. Everyone has been fighting to get their hands on Rollins. No one's fighting to get their hands on Randy Orton. No one's fighting to get their hands on John Cena. It's all about Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins should be in the main event with Dean Ambrose, but again, this is the WWE, and John Cena and Randy Orton are their two biggest stars. They are the main event. I mean, you have a 15-time world champion in John Cena. You have a 12-time world champion in Randy Orton. Uh, I said it before, this will be, I believe, their ninth pay-per-view match against each other in the last decade. They had a match, I believe they had two pay-per-view matches in 2007, one at Unforgiven, one at SummerSlam. They had another match in 2008 at No Way Out. They had two matches in 2009 at the Breaking Point and at SummerSlam. They had, of course, uh, two more matches at, uh, I think it was Bragging Rights and uh, the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. So, again, this isn't their first Hell in the Cell. They've actually wrestled a Hell in the Cell match before for the WWE title. They, of course, they had a match last year at TLC to unify the two titles. And, of course, now they're having the Hell in a Cell for the number one contendership to the Brock Lesnar's world title. So these guys are no strangers to each other. When you look, uh, they even compared it to Hogan and Piper. They compared it to Brett and Shawn, to Austin and The Rock. For the last decade, we have seen countless matches with Cena and Orton. But I will give them a little credit is that I had no interest in seeing Randy Orton, John Cena, match nine. I didn't have any interest in seeing that. But what they did yesterday I thought was really well. I thought Randy Orton uh, did a great job of feeding off the fans. Uh, they were in Kansas City. Of course, uh, they were the uh, Royals are in the World Series. So, of course, Orton played up to that, and he got real good heel heat from the audience. And he talked about uh, being – you know, really neck and neck with John Cena ever since they both came up through uh, OVW, the WWE's developmental, in 2002. And they've really been side by side. You know, John Cena was on SmackDown. Randy Orton, he debuted on SmackDown, but eventually was moved to Raw, and he became Triple H's pet project and evolution. He was supposed to be the next big star, but it ended up being John Cena who became the next big star. And, uh, you know, he talked about... You know, John Cena, you know, he was just, you know, guy, no name, no history in wrestling. Orton, obviously a third-generation superstar, a huge legacy on his shoulders. And uh, there was a point where I forgot that Monday Night Raw was a PG show. There was a time when Randy Orton said, you know what, Cena, you're all about your hustle, loyalty, and respect. You can shove it up your ass. I thought, wow, I'm surprised they went there and said that. And then John Cena came right back at him and said, you know, Orton, you're uh, a future Hall of Famer, 12-time world champion, 
but you're the biggest dumbass in the company. And again, go, oh my God, here comes John Cena, Mr. PG, and he's calling Cena, he's calling you know, Orton back out. And he's reminiscing, they're talking about how, you know, last time Orton was relevant was 2002, and Orton hasn't really done a whole lot. We even talked uh, about Orton where he hasn't been the Viper. We don't want to see the Viper back, and we're not, we haven't seen that side of Randy Orton. So I think last night when he was listening to the fans and the fans were chanting for the Royals, he got the fans of Kansas City to stop chanting for the Royals and to start booing him. So Randy Orton was really doing really well as we saw glimpses of when he used to be the Viper. And then, of course, another surprise, the return of Paul Heyman. We haven't seen Paul Heyman in a, in a while. They've been kind of downplaying him because, of course, Brock Lesnar isn't here. And since the new stipulation is that Randy Orton will, and John Cena will be fighting to take on Lesnar, of course, the advocate of Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, talked about there was someone else in the 2002 class who was brought up from OVW, and it wasn't Randy Orton, and it wasn't John Cena. It was Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, in his rookie year in the WWE, defeated the great one, The Rock, at SummerSlam to become the undisputed champion. And you fast forward to 2014, and not a whole lot has changed. Brock Lesnar is still the undisputed world heavyweight champion. So it that really did a lot to build up their match. I had no interest in Orton Cena, but after that program, after that segment, it really got sparked my interest. Even though it's their ninth pay-per-view uh, match against each other. Hopefully they'll do everything they can to make it special and they'll make it feel like it's important because it really needs to be important in every match, especially the pay-per-view really should be a special. It should be a quality match. So hopefully we'll see that from those two this Sunday. Yeah. And uh, what do you think? Uh, what, 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 what were some of the highlights on Raw, if, if any, well, Dominic pointed out, of course, the authority, they have to get their face time in. They, they kicked off the show. They featured the, the Hell in a Cell, which at the time, when I saw the Hell in a Cell above the ring, I thought, well, you know, what the heck? I mean, the pay-per-view is this Sunday, and they're just, they had the, the construction crew, the ring crew, build the Hell in a the Cell. They're probably not even going to use it. I mean, it seems like a waste of time to have the Hell in a Cell at Raw when you're going to have it at the pay-per-view. But it does look great on television and uh, in person. I know if you're a fan, it's definitely awe-inspiring to see this giant structure. But uh, little did I know that they would actually be using the hell at the end of the show. There was, of course, uh, a six-man tag match. Again, We how many six-man tag matches have we seen between Sheamus and the Usos versus Rhodes Dust and Miz? And Too I many. thought, oh, my God, here's another match, and this is just going to be you know a waste of time. And while I thought that was going to happen, they actually had Miz switch places with Damian Sandow. So instead, Miz Dow replaced the Miz, and Miz Dow was in the six-man tag. And finally, Damian Sandow wasn't mimicking the Miz. He was actually in a wrestling match, and the fans were, were, were behind him. They were cheering for him. So I enjoyed the fact that finally we got to see Sandow wrestle. He wasn't just mimicking. So that's one thing that I think they did right. We're getting Sandow back in the ring. And, of course, the Miz, being the heel that he is, he took the spotlight off Sandow saying that every time 
the fans cheer Sandow since Sandow is, of course, Mizdow, and he's mirroring everything the Miz does. When the fans cheer Sandow, they're really cheering for the Miz. So the Miz had a way to spin it uh, while he was doing commentary with the announcers. And then, of course, when Damian Sandow got the win in the match, the Miz was running around the ring saying, I won. I won the match. So it's it's something that uh, I hope progresses into a really great storyline between Miz and Sandow, and we see Sandow really get a nice push out of it. So, again, was the match, you know, a great six-man tag? No, but I think they're building towards something bigger and better down the line. So hopefully we see that. Uh, again, I said one of the highlights for me was the Randy Orton, John Cena, Paul Heyman segment. I thought, here we go, is another John Cena, another, you know, Randy Orton, blah, blah, blah. This is where I'm going to want to, you know, get my dinner together or go to the bathroom. But to my surprise, I really enjoyed it. I think Randy Orton stepped up. He showed a lot of intensity. John Cena did pretty well. And Paul Heyman coming out just kind of made things good. I was going to say uh, Blackjack talked about how, uh, you know, I'm the guy to go to with social media. Last week in social media, there was a huge trend on Twitter. It was called Randy Orton out of nowhere. And it was an RKO thing that you can see on YouTube or if you have Vine. And basically, it's a lot of uh, people uploading their you know, home videos, whether or not, uh, let's say, there's a kid skateboarding, right? So a kid skateboarding and he falls. And when the kid falls, there's an animation of Randy Orton in the video giving the kid an RKO. And there's a whole <laughs> bunch of these videos, and they're all called RKO out of nowhere. And then last night, of course, when Paul Heyman was in the ring, John Cena was going to give Heyman an attitude adjustment. But, of course, John Cena being a Boy Scout, he put Heyman back down and he walked away. But Randy Orton, well, he's the viper. He's the legend killer. He's the apex predator. He doesn't give a shit about Paul Heyman. So out of nowhere, he gives him an RKO. And I know the announcers made a point of saying, RKO, out of nowhere, out of nowhere. They made a point to say that because last week, as I said, there was a big trend on social media of the RKO out of nowhere videos. And like I said, you can see that on YouTube. They're hysterical. There's videos of uh, a guy... Uh, there's just tons of videos you got to see. They're ridiculous. There's one of a soccer player, you know, kicking a field goal, but he tripped some guy. And then, of course, here comes Randy Orton, the graphic of him giving the RKO to the soccer player. It's just, it's, it's hilarious. But uh, that was one of the highlights for me. Uh, the big show, Rusev thing, they had a match between Biggie and Rusev. The match itself wasn't important. What was important was what happened after the match. And after the match, they, uh, Rusev, whenever he wins, they dropped the Russian flag. This time, the Russian flag didn't drop. Instead, Big Show rigged it so that the American flag, Old Glory, would be dropped and be shown instead. Rusev then got angry, and much like the Big Show pulled down the Russian flag, Rusev was about to pull down the American flag. And this sparked a quote-unquote fan or plant that was ringside, a military soldier rushed into the ring to try to stop Rusev, and Rusev gave him a super kick. And this sparked a whole debacle on the Internet. Everyone said it was in bad taste. They should have never done that. And it was a bad move by the WWE, and they should apologize. And they, it, the Internet just blew up. But all these fans, but really, I mean, we've seen this before. We've seen fans run into the ring. Now, whether it was a military 
soldier or a, a plant, a someone dressed as a soldier to come in for the segment. You know, fans just, I think they need to settle down. They need to remember this is an entertainment show. You know, you can't look at the WWE, of course, as a wrestling show. Yes, it's a wrestling promotion. It was founded in wrestling. It's called World Wrestling Entertainment, but that's just it. It is entertainment. It is a sports entertainment, and it's all about getting heat for Rusev. Rusev kicking an American soldier. If that doesn't give you heat, then I don't know what will, especially in America. So they, they tried to make the Big Show Rusev match mean something. And this is another case where Rusev has a match. He beats guys. He squashes guys. I wasn't looking forward to the Big Show Rusev match, but I bet you this Sunday the Big Show Rusev match will have a lot more people chanting USA and a lot more people patriotic because of what they saw on Raw. Now, whether you liked it or not, that's your taste. That's your preference. But it did add to the show, and it added to the storyline. Oh, wow. So that's what you got out of one. Yeah. What's your prediction? Well, of course, uh, uh, the pay-per-view, we have, uh, there's a lot of talk about whether or not John Cena will face Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble or whether or not, uh, I mentioned before, Lesnar should be on Raw for the Slammy Awards, which is uh, in December. So they'll probably start a program then. I would like to think that maybe it would be Orton, and they would surprise everyone. And, you know, Orton, Orton versus Lesnar. I mean, have we ever seen Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton? Is that a match? You know, maybe they had you know ten years ago, but I can't remember a match between Orton and Lesnar. So I personally would rather see Orton and Lesnar. I think we might be seeing uh, a face turn. I know Dominic. We've talked about how they're probably going to be turning Orton soon. We've seen him uh, in conflict with the authority, with Kane, especially Seth Rollins. And at the end of Raw, uh, during the, the handicap street fight match between Ambrose, Cena, Kane, Orton, and Rollins, there was a moment where Randy Orton got the victory in the match. They brought the cell down. They fought each other. They were beating the hell out of each other. And Seth Rollins took advantage of a thrown Randy Orton, and he curb-stomped Randy Orton, which, again, just adds more fire to the fuel, and it should develop a nice rivalry between Orton and Rollins in the future. And whether or not Orton becomes a fan favorite, I could see a fan favorite Randy Orton fighting Brock Lesnar, Right now, Orton is still walking that line. He's still a heel, so it doesn't make sense for Orton to win. You would think that if anyone's going to beat Brock Lesnar, it would be John Cena. So I guess you would think John Cena is going to win, although I would prefer to see Orton just because we haven't seen Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton. And let's say Randy Orton beats Brock Lesnar for the title. Then you have Mr. Money in the Bank, Seth Rollins, having an opponent where he knows he could cash in money in the bank on, on Randy Orton and beat Randy Orton. Could he cash in money in the bank and beat Brock Lesnar? I don't think so. Oh, I love that scenario. That is excellent. So who are you going with your prediction for Sunday, J.J., if you have to make one? Well, like I said, I really hope Randy Orton wins. But knowing the WWE, it seems like they might go with Cena. They want Cena to be the guy to beat Lesnar. But I want it to be Orton just because I think it could lead to something much bigger for Orton and Seth Rollins, and we could have a really great feud uh, going into WrestleMania. Yeah. 
You brought up uh, Royal Rumble. Uh, I did catch a, a good clip uh, via TV tracks. Let's take a listen and debate on the other side. Uh, Vinny from New Royal Jersey Rumble has matches. two questions. Much like you, my favorite Royal Rumble is 1992, but I consider 1989 to be a strong second. What are your thoughts on the 89 Rumble match, and which would you consider your strong second? I thought the 89 Rumble was, was fine. I think, was that the Rumble where DiBiase went a long time? He went like 50-something minutes. I think it might. It was either 89 or 90. I can't remember. No, maybe it was 91. No, I'm completely off now. <laughs> I'm I'm way off. It, it definitely was not 89. It was either, ni- I think it was 91 that DiBiase went uh, 50-something minutes. 89 came down to, uh, it was John Studd and who else? I don't remember. Maybe it was John Studd and DiBiase. Maybe I am right. i got to look this up. Hold on a second. Okay, we're back now, and uh, this makes sense. DiBiase was in there last with John Studd in 89, but he was only in there for a short period of time. The rumble I was thinking of where DiBiase set the, uh, I don't know if it was an actual record, but he had the Iron Man performance that year in the rumble, was 1990. He actually entered at number one, and he lasted almost 45 minutes. So that's what I was thinking of. I remember that because in 92 when he came out, he was he was like number two, and he was gone before number three even came out. So it was, it was uh, quite the contrast from the performance he had had I thought the previous year, but I guess it was two years before. So that's what I was thinking of, 1990. The 89 Rumble is the one where they were building to uh, the eventual split with the Mega Powers because Hogan was in it, Savage was in it, both got eliminated. There was some heat there, but then they kind of made up. But then you know, a few weeks later, they did the turn on the main event special. So this was kind of the final leg of building up to that big split. Uh, that was also the Rumble where the Warlord got dumped out in two seconds, and I think I think Warlord held the record until uh, Santino. And so Big Big John Stud winning to me, it, it you know didn't do anything for me. Uh, I didn't really see what the big deal was. I was never a huge Big John Stud fan. The Rumble was still in its infancy. I mean, Hacksaw Jim Duggan won the first one for Christ's sake. It's not like winning the Rumble really meant anything until 1992 when the title was on the line. So. I like the 89 Rumble because it had a lot of those old school guys. Um, that might have been, I don't want to look it up again, but I think 89 was also the year the Demolition opened the Rumble. It was uh, Axe and Smash were numbers one and two, and they kind of beat the crap out of each other. I thought that was kind of cool. So there were parts of the Rumble that year that I, I enjoyed, and I liked all the old school guys. A lot of those shows from the late 80s, early 90s, I'm a fan of just because of the time period. But I can't say that it was my favorite Rumble or I would even necessarily put it in my top three. I I have if I had to pick a strong second, it's not even there. There, there is no strong second. Strong being the key word there. 1992 is just leaps and bounds ahead of all the other rumbles that I would put on my own list. Number two lags far behind. But if I had to pick a number two, I might actually go with the 2005 Royal Rumble. I really enjoyed that match for some reason. Uh, it, it was good. It wasn't like a bad rumble, but for some reason, I just remember really liking that that rumble match. And there aren't a lot of rumble matches in the last decade that I can honestly say I thought were that good. I think the rumble has been kind of lackluster for the most part. But there were a lot of different stories told in that match. You know, Benoit and Eddie brutalizing the young rookie in Daniel Pewter, which was tough to watch. Everyone ganging up on Muhammad Hassan to dump him out of the ring, the start of the feud with Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle that led to their WrestleMania 21 match. Uh, I think Shawn also eliminated Simon Dean. I remember being pretty entertained by that. 
And the final four in the Rumble came down to Edge, Rey Mysterio, John Cena, and Batista. And it really gave you a look into the future. This was before Edge got his big break as the World Heavyweight Champion and carried SmackDown. And this was before Cena and Batista were launched into the stratosphere. Neither guy had won a world title yet. They would a few months later. And then Mysterio, too. Mysterio would win the world title at WrestleMania 22. So this was a look into the crystal ball that was WWE's future, whether we fully realized it or not. And even the finish. The finish was botched. You know, John Cena was not supposed to go out of the ring with Batista. Batista was supposed to stay in the ring, win the match. But when he picked Cena up for the Batista bomb, his momentum carried him all the way over and both guys not only hit the floor, they hit the floor at the exact same time. And it was a botch. So think about that. If you watched it, if you watched the replay of it, it's not like, ah, oh, this guy hit first. It's so obvious. It's so clear. They hit at exactly the same time. They could not have, they could not have planned it or scripted it any better if they tried, if that was the actual outcome of the Rumble. And then Vince is all pissed off. He storms down to the ring, tears both of his quads, collapses. It's it's a classic moment. But the fans were into it, and the fans really wanted Batista to win. Batista was super over, uh, which is funny to me because the plan had been for Randy Orton to go to WrestleMania to meet Triple H, and they realized a few months before this that, hey, this Batista guy, he's he's kind of popular. He's catching fire. And that that's an example of, of somebody just organically getting over you know, and, and building a story over many, many months. It's not like Batista was part of Evolution, and then three months later they broke him up and they turned him. Like, no, it built. It built, and it was something Triple H fought for, to his credit, because I think, I think Vince had wanted to do a Batista-Triple H match on Raw. He wanted to blow it off once on Raw, and Triple H was like, no, no, we've got to save this. We've got to save this for WrestleMania. And he was right. He was absolutely right, because they saved it, they built it, and that WrestleMania, which had... No celebrity. I mean, maybe in the crowd. I think they had like David Arquette and maybe uh, Adam Sandler. But I mean, there were no, there there was no real celebrity involvement on the show. There was no other huge match. Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle was huge, I guess, if you're a, a pure wrestling fan. But the only real major attraction, and I don't count that Big Show Ake Bono sumo match, was Batista and Triple H, and they did over a million buys for that WrestleMania. They didn't need Mike Tyson. And they didn't need to bring back stars from the past. Hey, let's bring back Stone Cold. Let's bring back, you know, dig up the bones of fucking Jerry Graham or whatever. They did it with guys who got over on their own and with a story that people were into that they built up over several months. And they did over a million buys. Anyway, the point of all this is that Rumble was the genesis of a lot of that. It, it kind of gave us a glimpse into the future. And as a Rumble match, I thought it was very well put together. So if I had to pick a number two, I would go with the 2005 Royal Rumble. Vinny's second question, Big John Studd won the 89 Rumble and entered into what looked like what was going to be a big money feud with Andre the Giant, which went nowhere, and Studd disappeared from TV shortly thereafter. I was wondering if you could shed some light as to why his push stopped cold. Did Studd walk away willingly? Was it a backstage thing, or did plans change like they so often do? I was of the impression that he just wasn't happy with what they had planned. Maybe it was a money issue as well. It was it was not a situation where he was only supposed to be in for a short time and then leave. I mean, he came back, I think, with the belief and the understanding that he was going to be in line for a big push. And I guess uh, maybe he found out differently. He wasn't happy, and, and he left, and that was it. 
and I think a few years later he died. He had uh, Hodgkin's disease, and he passed away. All right, JJ, give me your thoughts on uh, that clip. Well, wow. I mean, uh, I actually forgot a lot about uh, that Royal Rumble in, uh, was it 2005, that Batista won. And uh, as he mentioned, he brought some great points about Edge. Edge, who still wasn't the rated R superstar yet. Edge was still known as that tag team guy. He just came back from uh, his broken neck surgery. He wanted to be he wanted to be one of the top guys, but for whatever reason, he couldn't break that glass ceiling yet. So to see him as one of the final four guys in the Royal Rumble, it gave us hope then maybe Edge would finally get that opportunity. But uh, Batista, again, Batista was hot. We talked about it's funny how over he was then, and now people can't stand him. There's Batista. They're booing him. They Just mentioning his name, and the fans just get sour. And yet Daniel Bryan was the guy who organically got over. And yet back in 2005, when Randy Orton was supposed to be, like I said, the megastar, the breakout star of evolution, Randy Orton who had the gimmick of the legend killer, he would go on to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania, which would make more sense to me. I mean, if if Randy Orton is a legend killer, it only makes sense that he would go after legends. And there's no greater legend than The Undertaker and The Streak. So, I mean, it just made more sense to have Batista go up and face uh, Triple H for the title. And, of course, that was the same WrestleMania that John Cena beat uh, JBL. And Batista... And John Cena, the two guys from the, uh, as I mentioned before, the 2002 class, they won their first world title at uh, WrestleMania 21. So a lot came from that Royal Rumble, which uh, surprised me. I don't know if I have a favorite Royal Rumble. I think all the Royal Rumbles, uh, they're great. They try to be great, at least. They try to do things that are entertaining for the fans. The first, uh, what, five Royal Rumbles were just mostly battle royals. You know, back in, what, 1988, when uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan won, you know, there was no title opportunity to go to WrestleMania and headline. I wish there was. That that would have been very interesting uh, for Hacksaw Jim Duggan's career. But uh, that didn't come about until 1993. I think it was, what, 1993 with Yokozuna. Yokozuna won the Rumble and would go on to WrestleMania to beat uh, to, win, to, to win the title. And, uh, of course, they mentioned Ric Flair. Ric Flair in 1992, that battle royal, that Royal Rumble, was for the vacant World Heavyweight title. So they didn't have the winner going to WrestleMania because that Rumble in 92 was for the World title. And uh, ever since then, we've had, I believe, 13 winners from the Royal Rumble would go on to win a World title at WrestleMania. Uh, It's a pretty impressive record. I think, you know, are there highs and lows with the Royal Rumble each year, the, the even flow? Sometimes maybe there's something you enjoy more as opposed to maybe you didn't like a certain thing. I know the one year they had Mick Foley and uh, Santino Morella, and they had uh, the sock and the snake, the cobra. A lot of people thought that was ridiculous, but at the same time, again, this is a different era, it's a different time, it's a different demographic, and this is more for the kids. The kids loved it. And it was safe for Mick Foley because Mick Foley can't be doing, you know, anything dangerous uh, anymore. I think his days of flying, you know, into tables and off hell in a cell, those are long over. So Mick Foley just having a nice moment with Santino that entertained the fans. It was safe. You know, that was that was a good little moment for, you know, the kids watching. You know, they've always had these moments in the Rumble where you had maybe the guys from Raw 
where the guys from SmackDown kind of square off. Uh, one year they had the guys from the Nexus square off with the WWE roster. Of course, you have those moments with guys like the great Kali and the big show where everyone in the Rumble just tries to throw them out because they're the biggest guys in the match. So, I mean, every Royal Rumble is unique and special in their own way. They have great moments. They have moments that maybe are forgettable that you don't remember or you, maybe you don't like personally because of your taste. But the, the Royal Rumble, always an exciting pay-per-view. Uh, it's always interesting to see what they do. I think last year's Royal Rumble was very interesting just because the fans just took it over. They were chanting Daniel Bryan throughout the whole damn uh, thing, and when they didn't get Daniel Bryan and when Batista won, they all just crapped on Batista, which, I mean, it's not Batista's fault. I mean, it's the, the, the powers that be that put Batista in that position. And what is he going to do, say, no, I don't want to win the Royal Rumble? No, I don't want to go to WrestleMania and be in the main event and get the biggest payday of the year? So, I mean, I can't blame Batista, but, the you know, the fans are, are very different now. Now they just want to support, they want to support and uh, they're trying to take over the show. They're trying to be the show. So it's a different time uh, in wrestling today. But the Royal Rumble, always something I enjoy to see every year. Dominic, you feel the same? Yeah, I remember the um, the Royal Rumble where it started with Action Smash beating the hell out of each other. And then the other oh, yeah. Royal Rumble where the final four guys and Rey Mysterio was one of them and Edge was one of them. That was a good one, too. And, yeah, the thing with Santino, that was corny. This yeah. year, of course, I'm not getting the Royal Rumble because last year was so goddamn terrible, the whole pay-per-view. <laughs> they wanted Daniel Bryan. They didn't yeah. get him. And when Rey Mysterio came out as number 30, oh, yeah. wrong place, yeah. wrong time, Ray Ray, and he got booed out of the building. Not because it was Ray, but because we wanted Daniel Bryan. Yeah. This year, I got a feeling we're going to see Hornswoggle in there with that stupid costume. We're going to see Torito in there. We're going to see Los Matadores in there do their tricks against uh, um, Heath Slater and Titus O'Neil. We're going to see a lot of that. And I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty corny because McMahon really don't have the roster that he should have. Wade Barrett is still out. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns is still out. Daniel Bryan is still out. CM Punk is gone. Um, you know, uh, he's he he's in need of bodies. We don't yeah. even know where where Harper and Rowan are headed right now. We don't know what you're doing with Bray Wyatt right now. There's a lot of openings that need explaining, and there's no explanation yet. You just made the winner. Oh yeah, who who'd I make the winner? You, I mean, uh, this is how I contemplated from last year. Roman Reigns will probably be the winner for this year, for next year. For next year, yeah. For 2015, I, I look for him to take it. Yep, I would think so too. He'll be the main big surprise if they'll keep him off that long. They'll be hungry for him. He made an impressive uh, situation last year. Uh, earlier yeah. this year, I mean, but uh, he's, he's going to go for it. I think so, too. I think he's, and I still feel that the the Shield, they broke these, these guys up. They 
I don't think they should have done it. They should have kept these guys together. Eventually, I believe that they will get together uh, back in, in, in months' time, but they need to keep these guys together. I mean, Solo, they, to me, they don't really kick it, you know? Roman Reigns, he did. He's the breakout star. But these guys are so, like, bland, you know? I, I don't see nothing out of it. Do you, do you Dominic? I don't either. I, I, I would have rather them stay together. About? The only guy yeah. that I like right now is Dean Ambrose. Seth Rollins, yeah. they're portraying him as that he needs the authority. Yeah. And then he's always running away like he's fucking scared. Mm-hmm. And he's taking like the coward's way out. Dean Ambrose is coming into his own. And I just saw an interview on one of the websites today with Dean Ambrose, and it talked about guys losing their spot. And Dean Ambrose says right out, and he seems like a really cool guy, he says, I'm not in WWE to take anybody's spot. I don't want to steal anybody's spot. He says, accidents happen, people do get injured, and if I should get pushed ahead of somebody that's out on the injured list, Fine and dandy, but I'm not out there to steal anybody's spot. And the guy said, well, you're often compared to a version of Stone Cold. You're often compared to a version of Brian Pillman. He said, I study a lot of tapes. I've been studying wrestling for years. And maybe some people see similarities in me in those two guys. Me, I just want to be my own person, go out there and do my own thing. And not take anybody's spot. I want my own spot, and I'll fight to keep my own spot. But I'm not going to try to knock anybody out of the position that they're in. That's definitely the way to go. Uh, yep. Vince Russo got into it with a caller uh, on a podcast. Let me play you this, and uh, we'll talk on the other uh, side. Very I wanted to ask you, uh, Ms. Russo, here about uh, your stint in the WWF. There's been a lot of people in the WWF who... I've seen on the, the Legends of Wrestling, say, Michael Hayes, who kind of takes shots at you for, you know, and don't give you credit for what you did in the Attitude Era. I want to ask you, how, how much influence did you actually have on the, the programming as it relates to when Raw became Raw is War and uh, the War Zone and all that and the, the coming up of Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Degeneration X? Because a lot of people have said that, all you did was basically copy ECW. Well, you know, first of all, I don't know who those, who those lot of people are that, you know, were involved. You know, I, I think what you're talking about are fans that are probably fans of ECW and want to believe that. I mean, I, I've never heard a single person, you know, that I worked with, you know, at the WWE, you know, make the comment that, yeah, Vince Russo copied ECW. So basically what you're talking about are wrestling fans that were ECW fans, and that's what they want to believe. I've stated numerous times, I probably saw in my life, I'd say probably three ECW shows. My, my writing style and the whole idea of the Attitude Era you know, was was much, much more based off of, you know, what they were doing at WCW at the time. You know, I was watching WCW on a weekly basis. And, 
you know, when Eric Bischoff and, you know, Scott and Kevin started that, you know, the NWO movement, you know, to me, you know, I knew that's where the business needed to go. That was the evolution of the wrestling business. So when, when I was watching WCW, you know, it's not like, you know, we ripped off that show or I ripped off that show. Basically, what it was was it was the evolution of professional wrestling. And at that time in the WWE, the wrestling business needed to evolve. And, uh, you know, that's, that's basically all we did with the Attitude Era. And, you know, whoever, whoever wants to take pop shots, I mean, they can take all the pop shots they want. And I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's personal and maybe, you know, they wanted to be on TV and for whatever reason they were never on TV or, or, or whatever the case. But, you know, obviously, you know, if, if I wasn't a part of that or I was afraid of being called out by somebody that was actually there, you know, I don't think I'd be agreeing to, you know, go do Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast, you know, for, you know, three hours. I don't think I'd agree to go do, you know, JR's podcast, which I'm going to be on tonight, because these were people there that I worked with and that were involved and knew, knew what the involvement of Vince Russo was. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, p- people can have their opinions. People can say whatever they want to say unless you were there and you, and you lived it and you knew what was going on. You know, you're, you're just talking, to be honest with you. Well, let me, let me ask you this. There, there are a lot of similarities between the, I will say as a fan, there are a lot of similarities I saw with the WWE program that relates to ECW, and I'll bring up two examples. One was Stone Cold Steve Austin, who went from being the ringmaster to being Stone Cold and, and being the beer-swilling redneck, which is to me was a, a direct copy of the Sandman in ECW, who was also drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Well, well, then, well, then, well then you know what? You need to bring that up with Steve Austin. That that was Steve Austin's character. Okay. Nobody, I, I never wrote in a single script Steve Austin's going to drink a can of beer. That's Steve Austin. So don't 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 get confused with what I wrote on a television show and the character that Steve Austin went out and portrayed. Okay. They're two completely things. So if you wanna you know, if you wanna accuse Steve Austin of ripping off Sandman, then go accuse Steve Austin of ripping off Sandman. Don't that that has nothing to do with me. Okay, what about okay, let me that's that's fair. And if I could ask someone code I would. But here's another here's another thing I, I noticed too. Okay, in ECW they did and, and let me let me point out for the fact here, I was not really an ECW fan, I was more of a WCW fan, number one. So when I look at the the ECW, they did an angle. Hey, hey Frank, Frank, can I cut you short for a second? Let's you know, listen, bro. I can tell right away, already, like, I feel like, you know, you're on the attack, and I'm here defending myself, okay? I just told you five minutes ago that WCW and NWO mm-hmm. was an influence on, you know, what we did at the WWE. 
if the if ECW was an influence, why wouldn't I say that? I just gave credit to WCW and told you that the NWO was an influence. Why wouldn't I say the same about ECW if that were the case? See, this is the problem I have with the Internet media. You, you ask me a question. Mm-hmm. I, give, I give you an answer, but then, you know, that answer isn't good enough. No, I didn't say it wasn't good. I told you. I, I, I told you. I watched about three ECW shows. I liked the shows. I put ECW over to this day. I've never said a bad word about ECW, but ECW did not influence the way I wrote the WWE. I, I, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know what else you want me to say because if you don't believe that, then basically, you know, you're sitting there and you're calling me a liar. If you're going to call me a liar, then like, wh- why, why are we even having this conversation? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar. I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing that. What I'm just basically, you know, pointing out was is that I just, as a fan, I noticed. I'm not. Listen, here's the deal. I'm not saying because I wasn't working for the WWF in 1998, 99. I've never worked for the WWF, so I'm just going back and saying at the time, Mr. Russo, you were in charge with Vince McMahon, Ed Ferrara, and a couple other people, and I'm not. And, and for what? I mean, only thing I'm saying is, is that they did a crucifixion angle in ECW, and I saw an angle similar to that with the Undertaker. I, can, can I tell you? Can I tell oh, you? You just said they did a crucifixion a crucifixion angle in the ECW. Right. I didn't. I didn't know they did a crucifixion a crucifixion angle in in ECW. I, I didn't even know that until you just told me that. Okay, that's what that's yeah. what I'm getting. I don't. I don't know. You know. I don't know what you know. And you don't know what bro, I. Know. Well, okay, well, I'm Frank. Getting. But Frank. But Frank. What I'm telling you is, bro. Listen. I put ECW over all the time. I I, I always say some of some of the best guys. I ever met in the business were from ECW. I've said that on the record a million times. If ECW was an influence on the way Vince Russo wrote television, I'd have no problem in saying that. I I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't understand why I wouldn't say that. You know, now, if, if, if there were a situation where, you know, I don't like Paul Lee, and I've gone on the record of saying nasty things about Paul Heyman, and I don't want to give Paul Heyman credit or something like that. It's like, okay, at that point, like, I can almost understand it, but for the last 20 years, 15 years, I've put over ECW every time the name has been brought up. So if they were an influence why wouldn't I say they were an influence? I, I, I can tell you, you know, the couple of shows that I saw, you know, and, I, I, and like I said, I think I saw about three shows. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were talents on that show that I, I, you know, I sat there and I said, God, I, I love for them to be in the WWE. I said that with certain talents. I mean, that's where I first saw, you know, the Dudleys. And I thought the Dudleys were great. Later on, the Dudleys would, would contact me through a third party. 
And, you know, I mean, I was um, instrumental in helping bring them into the WWE. During that time, I saw Al Snow stick. And I thought, you know, what Al Snow was, I, I thought the head thing was incredible. And, and I would then go to Vince McMahon and have a conversation and say, Vince, you know, I, I know Al used to be here and, you know, he really didn't get over or whatnot. But, you know, I saw him do this thing on ECW that I thought was brilliant. I mean, I would do stuff like that. There were there were performers that no doubt caught my eye, but you know, like I said, the influence on the writing they didn't have any influence on what I wrote. Pretty bold, JJ. What's your thoughts on Vince Russo? Well, in that case, you know, Russo was defending himself. That guy was asking him questions that really. It, he couldn't answer. I mean, uh, you're, he was asking questions about Steve Austin and Stone Cold Steve Austin and the character and being a ripoff of the Sandman. That has nothing to do with Vince Russo, why you would ask Vince Russo that question. I understand he was a writer at the time, but as he, as he mentioned, he wrote certain things or whatever. But, uh, you know, that's Steve Austin's character. You know, was it first, you know, started in ECW? Well, yeah, I mean, they were building the blocks. I mean, they didn't know you know, Paul Heyman and ECW didn't know that we're going to call this guy Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's going to change the business. He's going to buy all, he's going to set records for pay-per-view buys. He's going to be the biggest star next to Hulk Hogan. You know, they didn't know that. They were just developing. They, they gave him a uh, freedom to just be himself, to unload. He was pissed off at WCW and Eric Bischoff, and he let a lot of that frustration out, and it helped create the character that would eventually – become Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, when he was brought up to WWE, he was the ringmaster. He was with Ted DiBiase for a brief while, and then eventually he was back on his own, and he would go on to win the King of the Ring. And when he won the King of the Ring and he did the Austin 316, that was a big game changer for Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was a defining moment. But it really took time. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It wasn't something that they said, hey, you know, he was in ECW, so let's do this you know, do that here, it took a lot of time. It was a progression, you know, and the guys back then, whether it was the writers or even the talent, you know, uh, yesterday on Raw, they talked about after Raw was over, if you watch the WWE Network, they had a what they called DX Confidential. And what that was, was this past SummerSlam, when they had the panel for the WWE video games, they also had a separate panel. They had a separate panel for D-Generation X, for uh, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, in which they would get questions from Michael Cole in front of uh, an auditorium, in front of fans, and they would answer, and they would go over the history of Degeneration X. And while they did that, Triple H talked about as talent, you know, they were aware of, you know, WCW because they came on an hour before them, so maybe they would check it out. Of course, back then they had their friends, Nash and Hall, who were there, so of course they checked in on their buddies, see what they were doing. But then at the end of the day, they were focused on them. They were doing everything they can for the WWE and how they could make their mark uh, in the Monday Night Wars. You know, they weren't 100% just focused and copying and looking and stealing information. It wasn't like that. So it's hard, you know, this guy's asking Russo these questions that Russo really isn't qualified to answer because, you know, he only, he just said, he watched so many shows from ECW. He says a great product, great superstars, but that's it. He didn't even know that uh, Raven did this crucifixion uh, in the cage or wherever that happened in ECW way back when. And, of course, yeah, it happened in Raw. We've often 
said that times in wrestling guys kind of steal ideas from each other. It happens. You know, you don't want to be doing the same old, same old. So if you hear stories through the grapevine that, you know, this company did this, you say, well, maybe we can do it or maybe we can do it better. Were they influenced? Were they inspired? Did they hear about it? Possibly. I'm not Vince McMahon. I'm not Vince Russo. I can't answer for them. But the fact is, WWE did an idea, whether or not ECW did it first and were they inspired by ECW, I mean, from a fan's perspective, yeah, you would assume, yes, they were inspired by them. But you would have to ask Vince, you would have to ask uh, McMahon, Russo, you have to ask The Undertaker, you have to ask all these guys whether or not you know, they were inspired, did they blatantly copy ECW? That's something you have to answer for them. Russo, he felt he was on the defensive, he felt like this guy was doing a... a you know, an inquisition, and you know, there's only so much that he could answer. You want to answer what he writ, you know, the, he takes credit for the, the Mr. Sacco and, you know, that character and, you know, whatever he takes credit for, then he is 100% qualified in talking about. But if you're going to ask him something that he's not qualified for talking about, how is he supposed to respond? He doesn't want to say something that might make Steve Austin look bad. He's not going to talk for Steve Austin. Steve Austin can talk for himself and say whether or not he was a blatant ripoff of the Sandman or whether or not, you know, he was he got his start in ECW and they just brought that on the WWE. Austin and McMahon know that story. Russo only knows what he was supposed to do, and his idea was to write the script for Raw and to make it entertaining and to do whatever they could. You know, like I said, during the DX uh, story yesterday on the WWE Network, Triple H and them said a lot of what they thought was the talent. The talent would go to Vince and say, hey, you know, we got this idea for this, or we want to do this. And, you know, Vince would shoot it down, or maybe he would accept it, and he would, you know, get one of the writers to come up with a a script for it. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's not – the way you remember and the way you think happened is probably not entirely true. Things were very different. It was chaotic. They were doing whatever they could to survive. They were trying to be original and fresh. That way people watch them and not WCW or ECW. Because if you're blatantly ripping off and copying exactly what WCW did before, why are we watching you when we could be watching them? So, I mean, it's a really difficult thing. I think Russo was just defending his character and, uh, his ideas. I know a lot of people have a lot of controversy with Russo. A lot of people hate him. I'm just judging by that clip and that it seems like Russo is just defending himself. But like I said, that's just my opinion. Totally agree. And we're just about out of time. Uh, we'll speak to you next week with the uh, recap of uh, Hell in the Cell. And uh, thanks again. Hey, do me to, a favor. Uh, call, me, call me as soon as you're done with the show. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow we'll be back here with a life coach, Marie. She'll talk to uh, us about uh, relationships, everything you want to know. So check back tomorrow. JJ, always a pleasure to have you on. Same with Blackjack, and same with you, Dominic. King, uh, Jordan, uh, thank you, Dominic, Blackjack. Yeah, all you guys. Thank you, guys. Always great to be with you. Billy, it was great hearing from him. It's always uh, a great experience, a lot of fun. So thank you, guys. Okay. Good night, everybody.